Now, I want to welcome you all here. Great to see you. Wherever you're at in your journey, in your spiritual journey, you are welcome here. If you're trying to figure out if you believe, you used to believe, you're not sure what you believe here, you're curious or unconvinced, or wherever you land, we're just delighted that you're here. We're a bunch of people trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we don't always get that right. So uh, anyway, great to see you. So today's a great day to be here because we're launching in the book of Nehemiah. It's an absolutely awesome book here. And so this morning, what I'm going to do is going to be talking to you from that Nehemiah chapter one. We're going to be reading it uh, verse by verse in just a minute, and then uh, we'll be unpacking that. So the title of the message this morning is God's prescription for you, God's prescription for you. And I changed that uh, after uh, these notes went to print. But as I was processing it and processing it, I was just thinking about so much of what we're going to look at today. It's not just descriptive of a 3,000-year-old story, though it is that, but it's more than that. It's prescriptive, really, of what God has for your life. And so how many people here, you've been to the doctor and you've got a prescription in the past? Come on, get them up. So uh, this is a real doctor's prescription pad right here. And uh, you go to the doctor and what they do, then is they they will write out, you know, you, you're sick, you have an infection or whatever, you have high blood pressure. So they write your name, they write you know, your address, they write the prescription and all that and refills and all that. And they write prescriptions. And so we're very familiar with this. I mean, we live in this world. Like about 80% of Americans are living in this world every, every day. And so that's the world that we live in. And we all get that world. But I would just like to, to mention this and, and uh, give you this to think about, is that God also has a prescription for your life. And every time you go to take an aspirin or an antibiotic, I'd like you to think that what is a prescription actually that God has for my life? I want to talk about that here this morning because prescription is like a direction. It's like this is what you need to do with your life. This is what you must do if you want to have your best life, be healthy and all. So God in the same way has done that. He's given us a prescription that we're going to unpack here in Nehemiah. So it is really incredibly powerful. It's profound. It has tremendous impact implications, personal implications for you. And so I'd like to encourage you to be here all seven weeks. And we're going to do this leading up to uh, July. And then, um, uh, and then if you have some friends or family member that need to be here, we're talking about how to restore broken dreams. Everybody has brokenness in their life. We're talking about how to restore that. So this is a great time. I'd like to encourage you to be here uh, during those seven weeks. And additionally, If you want to talk about this, we're going to have, during the week, we're going to have a midweek Wednesday night, a sermon-based, small group, might be a lot of people, but a small group, and so, and we'll be walking through what we did here on Sunday morning, talking about it and applying it to our lives. So, going to read to you Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, reading through verse 11. If you want to stand to your feet in the honor of God's word here, we're going to read Nehemiah chapter 1, says this. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn in the month of Kislu, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was in the fortress of Susa. And Hanai, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity, about the things that were going on in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. 
Oh, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer and look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. And I confess that we've sinned against you, even my own family, and I have sinned. Oh, we've sinned terribly by not obeying the commands and decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember which you told your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful to me, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. So, Lord, please hear my prayer and listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. And please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me, putting in his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. You may be seated. So these are some amazing lessons in Nehemiah that we're going to see here this morning. There are many things we're going to unpack, but uh, if you want to learn how to fight through discouragement and adversity, this is it here, and you need to be here. Uh, This is one of the greatest leadership documents ever written, Nehemiah, and the greatest in all the canon of Scripture. If you want to learn how to lead, it is right here. Lead in your business, lead in in your family, it is right here. If you want to learn how to be successful in life, he talks about that here. You want to learn how to persevere, not quit and not give up. This is the way to learn. If you want to learn to pray when it seems like there is no human solution, no way, this is here. If you want to learn how to deal with overwhelming challenges and how to press through those, it is here. If you want to learn how all of you have, you know, at some point, personal attacks on your life, you want to learn how to survive that and even thrive in that atmosphere, that is right here. And so the story then behind the story is this. Nehemiah is an ancient historical document here. Uh, Artaxerxes was the king of Persia there. And so he was the dominant world force at the time. Uh, they would were previously... Uh, ruled, that is Jerusalem, by the Babylonians. And so you have here now Nehemiah, he's working in this posh, super amazing gig in Susa there in the palace of the Persian Empire. And so Nehemiah then is going to hear that the gates of Jerusalem have been burned with fire and then uh, uh, and it's broken down. It's been devastated. There are 10 acres just devastated. We're going to be unpacking that in a couple weeks here. What happened is God's people stepped away from God. They disobeyed God. They blew off God. They ignored God. They didn't want to have anything to do with God. God was distant. God said, okay, you can have your way. So the Babylonians, who were the big world ruling uh, people of that day clobbered them, overtook Jerusalem, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the walls. The walls were in shambles. Now it is an absolute colossal mess there. God's people are taken captive. And so the mighty Babylonian empire there now is ruling over them as their slaves. So with that idea, that history now, Nehemiah has this incredibly 
important job. Nehemiah has this incredibly sweet gig here, but he's sampling the best wine on the planet. He's eating the best food there. He's got a super posh gig there, and he's living in the palace of Susha there, kind of camp, cupcake, enjoying the good life there. And so his job was to do this. Could somebody, Jillian, could you grab that for me there, the uh, yeah, grab that. And so the king then, uh, what happened is they're sort of freaked out. The Persian kings had a great, great concern. And their concern was this, because many Persian kings had been killed. And they had been killed there. There was a method of choice of assassination. And that was that they would poison them. And so they poisoned them. And this is how they poisoned them. They would, uh, uh, they would get the king, this is, what, this is what Nehemiah did. So Nehemiah would say, king, here it is. And Nehemiah would take the king's wine there. This is not wine. This is pomegranate juice here. So anyway. <laughs> and so Nehemiah then would, would do this. Okay, you take a hit. And they'd wait and they'd watch Nehemiah. They'd see, is Nehemiah going to drop dead? And if Nehemiah didn't drop dead, then the king would drink the wine. And so this was his job. So he protected the king from being poisoned. It was a super important job. And he was incredibly trusted there. It was a position of great power and great influence there because he's always checking the king's food for poison there. And so if someone tried to poison the emperor uh, and Nehemiah then drank some of the wine there, they would be posting a new job for, for the next cupbearer because he would die. So Nehemiah, you can imagine what a man of intense and immense integrity that he was. And so he's, he's a confidant to the counselor there. And he's sort, of like, he's sort of like the chief of staff to the president of the United States. He was that guy. Like you couldn't talk to the king there, Artaxerxes, without going through Nehemiah. And so here's Nehemiah he's serving in the king's court. And 800 miles away, there's the atrocity, which is Jerusalem. And he doesn't know the people. He's never been there. But he knows that they've been in danger and despair. So he hears about what happens. And I want you to see this. He asks a simple question. And he tells me, how are the exiles doing there? What is happening down there in Jerusalem? And so it says this, I asked them. I asked them. I'd like you to think about this. He says, Nehemiah says, tell me what's happening. Now, why would he do that? Why would he say, I asked them, and he asked these questions, when they're 800 miles away, when he's never been there, when it seems like there's nothing that he can do? And I asked them. He asked them because he cared. You see, all of you here, you've got your closets at home, and I am probably never going to ask you about what's in your closet. You know why? I just don't care. I could care less about what's in your closet. Now, there's many other things that I, that I care about, so I would drill down and want to ask you about that. But I don't care about your, what's in your closet, so I'm not going to ask that. Nehemiah, 800 miles away, seemingly nothing that he could do about it, working in the posh palace, ultimate sweet gig. Hey, tell me what's going on. And he cares. So Nehemiah had every reason not to care about what was happening in Jerusalem. He'd never been there. He didn't know the people. There was no, you know, Fox News, no Twitter feeds where you could see what was happening. And he's completely disconnected there. And so, Nehemiah, in your notes, I want, I want you to write down that he cared enough to ask. He cared enough to ask. 
One year when I was going to Africa, and I was inviting, invited a lot of pastors to go. And this one pastor that I invited to go, and we went to, at that time, AIDS was out of control. It was crazy. People were thinking we were going to come back with AIDS. So this one pastor from a fairly large church that, that I invited, he said to me, he was very freaked out. He was completely stressed out about it. And he corners me one-on-one, and he said, now, Rod, 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 tell me, like I'm getting a lot of heat from my congregation and people don't want me to go to Uganda and they think I'm going to get AIDS and AIDS is really bad. And I said, yeah, it's, it's really bad. And he says, now, uh, now tell me, he says, Rod, why are we going to Uganda when AIDS is so bad there? And we're putting ourselves at risk. And I said, Tim, this is why we're going. I thought, oh, right, I had this like, it's very intense, you know, very intense conversation. I says, Tim, this is why we're going. Because no one else cares, and no one else will go. He said, okay, all right. And so we went, and we didn't get AIDS. We got checked, but we didn't get AIDS. We had our blood checked, we didn't get AIDS. But we went because we cared. And that's, that's the idea here with Nehemiah. Nehemiah cared here, and watch verse 3. And then he said to me, these things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. In other words, things are really bad. Things, things are terrible here. He says, they're in great trouble and disgrace. And why are they in great trouble and disgrace? Here's why. It's all about the wall. He says, the wall of Jerusalem was torn down. and The gates are burned with fire here. So Nehemiah now he absorbs this incredibly bad news. This is more devastating than we could get our minds around really here. This report of great trouble there of national crisis. This is a picture of national crisis. Because why? Because Jerusalem's a city without walls. And I get it today. It's hard for us to comprehend. I think cities don't have walls these days. But in that day, a city without walls, you depended on walls for everything. A city without walls was nothing. A city with wa- without walls was a run-down, broken, good-for-nothing city. You see, a city without walls would scream to the world this. You are an embarrassment. You are a disgrace. You are a picture of defeat. You have no hope and no future. No walls, you are defenseless. You are oppressed. You are stomping ground for your enemies. That's who you are. You see, no walls meant that you had no protection from the enemy's attack. There was nothing you could do. They had complete access and egress as much as they wanted. You see, no walls meant they were screaming, you are anarchy waiting to happen there. An invitation for violence. No walls is an invitation for horrific scenarios waiting to happen. No walls meant no economy. No walls meant you're living in an atmosphere of shame, an atmosphere of fear, just a fog over all the people. So when he heard no walls, it went off inside him what that meant. So Nehemiah, watch this, Nehemiah, he's consumed because he, because he cares in your notes. He's listening there. He's listening with his heart. He's listening. He's absorbed at everything that is being unpacked there. So he gets it. Verse, five, verse 4, watch what happens. And when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, I, for days I mourned and I wept and I fasted and I, I cried out to the God of heaven. Have you ever heard news 
that was so devastating to you, so overwhelmed you that you just, you, you, you lost it, that you, you couldn't maintain your equilibrium. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me a couple times with my mother. I've shared a little bit about my mother and, um, who, was, who was, had many issues. And so one time I, I, I got the phone call, and I was just a teenager, right? I get the phone, hall, phone call, and it says, um, is this Rod Collins? He says, yeah, this is Rod Collins. Well, and I could tell the person on the other end of the line was, didn't know what to do, and it was incredibly awkward. They says, well, I don't know how to tell you this, but your mother's tried to commit suicide. Like, I'm so undone. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so emotional that, like, my legs are giving way. And I, and I was in my room, and, and I, had to, I had to sit down there. I just was so overwhelmed. And that's what, that's what was happening here with Nehemiah here. And Nehemiah, when he hears the words, he's not like this. And, and when I heard this, big bummer, but 800 miles away, I got to do my life, got to get on with the king's business. I'm the king's cupbearer. No, 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 no. When he said this, when he heard these, he didn't say, I'm so far away that maybe somebody in Jerusalem can do so. I'll pray for the people in Jerusalem that they'll do something for the walls. No. Nehemiah's response is magnificent. Nehemiah's response was, oh, no. And he lost it there. And he's deeply bothered. He's staggered. He's overwhelmed. He's devastated. He's crushed. And his world there, his world is rocked. Nehemiah's rocked here. He's undone here. And so he's, and he's just losing it so that he, he, he can't stand up anymore here. And so is this just descriptive or is this actually prescriptive? Could this be something that God maybe wants for us to know that maybe it wasn't just for him here that, that it seems like such a dramatic response, but why? Why here? See, God broke Nehemiah's heart. God broke Nehemiah's heart, and God, God planned it that way. God planned it that way that Nehemiah's heart would be broken. And I'll just ask you from the prescriptive side of things, like what breaks your heart? Because, see, that is prescriptive of what God wants to do in you and through you. But you see the beginning point? is a broken heart. That's where God begins. And then after God breaks his heart, then God transforms him. God makes it real to him. Then God can use him. So it's way more than history. This is for us. And do you believe that God could, could use even the broken parts of your life? You think, you know, all of us have brokenness. Do you think perhaps God wants to actually use the broken parts of your life? And it, God will, will use that. God didn't cause it, but God would use it for his purpose. So here's Nehemiah, the king's cupbearer. So he's 800 miles away there. And he's living in this world-class, opulent, luxury, the wealthiest of, of the wealthy there, drinking the finest wine on the planet, eating the best food on the planet there, living in, you know, the king's palace there. And so there's Nehemiah. And I just wonder, what did it, what did it take for him to leave that to go 800 miles to the broken walls there. And so I believe that this is descriptive for us in that it's not just about him, but maybe, maybe, just maybe, God is saying like, hey, this is actually what I like your heart to look like. I'll like to do this in your heart. And so perhaps this is God's desire 
for God's children. Perhaps this is what he wants to do to make us compassionate and empathetic people. You know, when I became a Christ follower, I have to admit to you, there was not one ounce of compassion in this heart. There was no empathy in this heart. It was just my upbringing and all. It it was just dog eat dog. There was zero compassion. But I can tell you that over the years, just God moving in my heart, the things just, they move me and God has transformed that. And that's what God wants to do in us. God wants to transform our hearts like he transformed Nehemiah's heart here. And so I want us to see again that God worked in Nehemiah before he worked through Nehemiah. That's what he wants to do in you here this morning. He wants to work in you before he works through you. Because he can't really do something through us until he works in us. And so in your notes there, Nehemiah, he absorbed God's heart for the people. He absorbed God's heart for the people. And he's going to do an incredibly great work. In the canon of scripture, this is one of the greatest works that God uses and does through Nehemiah. God always works through broken-hearted people. God always works through broken-hearted people. And so, in a broken city there. So, in the greater sense, in the greater sense, the broader sense, I'd like us to see this. Is that Nehemiah here, Nehemiah is a man here that was bothered. Nehemiah is a man who cared. Nehemiah, that he's not just living for Nehemiah. And I feel that one of the issues that we deal with and that keeps us from our best life is this. As we think that as Nehemiah was blessed to be the king's cupbearer, we think that, oh, the palace, the food, the wine, it's all for me. And so we live, it's all for me. The blessings are all for me. We got to see that Nehemiah wasn't, he realized it's not all for me. See, he realizes, you know what? There's people so far away. It's for them too. And I'm going to go to them. And so he was blessed to be a blessing, but he had to dispense the blessing rather than just absorb that all the blessing is for me there. And so I like to point this out. Nehemiah is a regular guy. Nehemiah, Nehemiah is an ordinary human being. See, when God is picking someone to restore the walls of Jerusalem, he bypasses okay, all the priests. He bypasses all the generals. He bypasses all the kings. And Nehemiah goes for a regular, ordinary person. He's like a government official there. He's not trained in seminary. He's not a pastor. He, you know, he's a businessman. He wasn't even local there in Jerusalem, and God picked him. I would just like to point out, what does that say about you? God passed over all those then, picked an ordinary, regular person. That's who God works with today. He works with regular, ordinary people here. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Don't, don't miss this. Is that God spoke to Nehemiah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really unpack this at the end. But God spoke to Nehemiah, and here's what Nehemiah had to do. Nehemiah had to say, when he understood, what heard God's voice, this is what I want you to do. Nehemiah had to say yes to God, and he didn't bring any requirement with that. He just said yes, no fine print, I'll do it. And so it says this, it says he fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. So I want to see this, is that 
when he hears the news and he gets depressed and he gets overwhelmed, he just doesn't stay there. You know, he's having great grief, but the grief doesn't get the best of him. I mean, grief is a part of our lives. Grief's a good thing. Grief helps us to cope with loss. But he doesn't camp and stay in his grief forever there. He fasts and he prays here. And fasting is when, and you're serious about this deal. Fasting is when you're willing to lay something aside, food or other things, maybe podcasts or things or social media. You lay something aside so you can really press in and lean in and focus your heart on God. And so that's what he was doing. And look at it. Uh, He shows us how to pray. You want to know how to pray? You want insights how to pray? You want to improve your prayer life? Look at Nehemiah's prayer, verse 5. So then I said, after the bad news, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God. So I want us to see something here, what Nehemiah does. Because Nehemiah, at the same time, he's praying on two levels, two blocks. And here it is. And so one way that he's praying, he's praying these big blocks of prayers. Where it says, day and night I was praying to you. He's launching these big three-point bomb prayers, but then he's got these other little prayers, like just like six or seven words, like, God, help me with the king. Give me favor with the king. So there he is. There he is. And uh, he's pouring. He'll be there. There's Nehemiah, and he's, he's pouring the king. You, you, want, you want more wine, king? Sure, I'll give you more wine. How's that? A full cup? Let me taste it for you, king. Let me make sure this is, this is the good stuff here. Let me taste it. Ah, that's good stuff, king. Go take a hit of that. You're going to enjoy that, king. So, and then, then the king takes it. The king looks at Nehemiah and says, Nehemiah, boy, boy, what's wrong with you? Something's wrong. Oh, you're so sad. You get killed to be sad in the king's presence. You're looking awful sad, Nehemiah. What's going on? And he fires up a prayer real quick. Lord, give me favor in the king's sight. Well, king, and that's what he do. Little quick little prayers, big prayers at the same time. That's what Nehemiah was doing. Some of you may be great. The little three-point or the big, the big prayers. Others might be great. The little bank shot prayers. Others of you, you may feel like, I stink at both types of prayers. So, <laughs> And so there's Nehemiah, though. But what I want you to see this is there's Nehemiah before the king, right? He's before the king. He's in the king's palace. He's not in church. He's not off work. He's on the job. He's working. Oh, give me favor with the king, oh God. Well, right there under his breath, under his breath, there is praying on the job there. So in your notes there, Nehemiah goes to God in prayer. Nehemiah goes to God in prayer. So there's this huge problem hundreds of miles away. I want us to see how Nehemiah approaches God. Because what Nehemiah doesn't do is what we usually always do. And that is it. We hit God, here's a request, the next request, the next request, the next request. Nehemiah doesn't do that. Nehemiah, praying from verse 5 to verse 11, doesn't get to the request till verse 11. And so we're going to look at that here. And so he says, oh, Lord God of heaven. He's saying He's acknowledging who he is. You're, the, you're not just the man upstairs. You're not just the big guy, my big friend, my big buddy. No, you're the God of heaven. So he acknowledges who God is. He says, look, I've got a mess down here. It's a mess. I've got problems down here. So I'm going to you, God, up there. You're the God of, of heaven. And then watch what he says here next. If we peel back, the, peel back the curtain a little bit, here we see one of the reasons why Nehemiah can pray the way he does. is Because he's, he's so solid. He's, he's so strong. He's so sound in his, his understanding of, of who God is. And his, and his prayer is rooted in his, his knowledge of God. He says, you 
I know all about you. You're a great and an, and an awesome God. So his prayer then is grounded in who God is here. He says, God, you, like, and I get it, like, we hear the word awesome all the time. Like, man, you look awesome today. Somebody said that to me last week. I thought, I do not look awesome. I like, like, I just don't look, I appreciate the thought, but I don't look, I knew I didn't look awesome. You know, I was like, I just look haggardly. So anyway, that was funny. So anyway, we'll say, you know what? You're awesome. Man, that, that pizza last night, that burger was awesome. Well, Nehemiah, when he says awesome, he's saying, God, you are absolutely altogether totally awesome, and there's no one like you. I mean, awesome should be reserved absolutely altogether. Just God is that kind of awesome. And that's what he was saying. You are awe-inspiring. You're creator. There is no one like you. And so he reminds himself, watch. Now, get this, get this, and this is what you need to not miss. Don't miss this, okay? Because when you're faced with your problems, and your problems overwhelm you. Remember, he's overwhelmed, Okay, you get so overwhelmed by your problem and that gets so big. And he reminds himself, but God is bigger than that. And, and, and this refocuses his priority and his perspective there that God is bigger. He's all powerful. And there's no one like God here. And he's way, way bigger than the broken walls and the burned gates there in Jerusalem. So he acknowledges God's awesomeness. And all of a sudden, you know what it does? It puts his perspective that he just, he just sat down, he was so overwhelmed, begins to put that in perspective. I wonder if that's not just descriptive for him, but that's prescriptive for us, and that your problems, you, you, you acknowledge the awesomeness, the greatness of God. It says, listen, in verse 6, listen to my prayer, and look down and see me praying night and day. See, there's the big block of prayer. I confess, and he begins to confess, and I love this here. I love that he, the prayer is steeped in, his, in, his, in acknowledging his role in it, steeped in repentance here, steeped in, I admit what I have done. I admit my failure. Maybe your parent praying about your, your, your failures as a, as a parent or your failures in your marriage. Do we ever like, you know, admit our prayers and admit to God what, where we have gone wrong. And that's what Nehemiah does here. And I love this, what he does in verse eight. He says, and remember, watch this. And please remember what you told your servant Moses. So now what he's doing here, and this is something that you want to build into your own life. He says, remember God, remember. And he's praying God's word back to God. He's taking it and kind of lifting it back to God's face there. He's saying, hey, God, I'm standing on what you said. I believe what you said. And so he's saying, look, I know what you can do. You reversed the situation when God's people went sideways, but then they came back, and you reversed the situation, and you can do the same thing here. And so he's reminding God of God's word and circling back to God. Not because God needs to be reminded, but he needs to be reminded of what God said. So it's throwing up God, God's word in him. Do you ever do this? Do you ever do this? I, like I've built this into my life over the years and something that you want to build into your life here. So what he does is he prays the scriptures that talk about a better day. He's gaining new pers- perspective. So one time I got absolutely the most devastating news in my life after my mom's, um, after my mom's tried to commit suicide the first time. And so I got news that if I wasn't sitting down again, it, it would have just wiped me out. 
just would have wiped me out. It was cataclysmic, changed the, the trajectory of my life. And so, and so I'm sitting down with this person, and, uh, and they, they tell me the news, and, and I, I so lost it that I just dropped my head to the table. Just dropped my head to the table. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I was just like, and I just kind of went numb. Just kind of went numb. It was so overwhelming to me. And so I dropped my head to the table. Took me a moment and and I lifted it up. And so, and and as I was processing it there, scripture came to me. Uh, And I began, and and there were scriptures that I know it was God because I would have never thought of those things in the moment. And one was, um, I'll never lift my hand against God's anointing. This person's lifting their hand against me. And so, uh, and some other scriptures came to me, and I just rested in those things, and I prayed those back to God. And that's what Nehemiah was doing here. And I love this. He says, he's praying, he's praying, watch what he does here. He says, and you, God, grant me success. You got, in other words, make me the answer to the problem. You make me the answer. And so he's putting hands and feet to the prayer. He's not just throwing up prayers and throwing up prayers. Like we can just throw a prayer, throw a prayer. Maybe you're the answer to the prayer. Maybe you are the answer. And so we say sometimes, you know, talk is cheap. Well, I think prayer can be cheap sometimes too. Just keep throwing prayer, throw a prayer, throw a prayer. Hey, Maybe you're the, you're the answer to the prayer. And so Nehemiah realized, you know, I, God, grant me success. Make a way, Lord. Come through, Lord. Intervene, Lord. And then he keeps praying. And he's saying like, oh, may, maybe I'm the answer to the request. And so this is what I'm requesting. But God, would you make me successful and allow me to go home? Allow me to fix the problem. Allow me to be the answer there. And so here's Nehemiah ready to take something on like us. Things that are seemingly unimaginably more complex, unimaginably more difficult than you want to entertain. Maybe with your family. Maybe with your work situation. Maybe with your finances. Maybe in your marriage. Maybe wherever your life there. But it seems unimaginably more difficult and all. But maybe God, like Nehemiah, can make you the answer to that prayer. And I'd like to point this out to you, too. See, it would seem like in a superficial reading that Nehemiah was wasting time. In that state that we just described there, it would seem like he's wasting time there. And it says there in the, in the first verse, it says, and Nehemiah says, in the month of, of Chislev, which in the Hebrew language is like um, December, like November, December. And so I want you to see that he gets that, he hears about that in like, December at the latest. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, in the spring, in the month of Nisan, which is April. Then he acted. And so for four or five months, there's Nehemiah. We don't see it. We just, we just read chapter 1, you know, go through verse 11. Then there's chapter 2, verse 1. And we don't think anything of it. Five, four to five months. Four to five months have passed. What is Nehemiah doing? But there's Nehemiah on his knees, and he's seeking God. He's getting the plan. He's getting the idea. He's getting God's mind there for four to five months. And sometimes we think, oh, we got to be people of action. We got to make it four to five months. There he is, just waiting on God. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, it came to pass. Now it came about in the month of Nisan. Nisan, or, or, or it says early in the spring, in the month of Nisan, in April there. 
So there's this big gap, this big gap. And what is he doing? He's praying. What do we do? What is prescriptive for us? Pray till you get an answer. That's what he did. Pray to get an answer. A couple days go by, nothing. A couple weeks go by, nothing. A couple months go by, nothing. Four, five months go by, now he gets an answer. Pray to get an answer. And so it flashes into his mind after this season of praying, praying for Jerusalem, praying, realize like, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe, why shouldn't I go to Jerusalem? Maybe I'm the one to go there. And so he had every excuse in the book to dismiss himself from getting involved. Think of all the reasons why he shouldn't have got involved. I mean, there he is. He's working. You would think, how can we justify this? Like, I work with the most important person in the world. I influence the most important person in the world. That's me, Nehemiah. See, we can justify all the reasons why we shouldn't get involved because of our current situation and our current state of affairs there and what we're doing. And Nehemiah here is a trusted caregiver for the king uh, of the then known world. And do you think Nehemiah was comfortable? Yeah, was he comfortable in the posh palace there? And, the, and I've thought about this here. Imagine if, if, if he just lived there and he never left and went to Jerusalem. What would he tell his, his children? What would he tell his grandchildren? Says, yeah, you know, Grandpa Nehemiah, back in the day I used to serve wine and I used to, the, I used to drink the best wine. Yeah, the opus, all that. I used to drink all the best wines in the world. I would drink uh, that and I would eat the best food in the world. Really, Grandpa? You did that. And what else did you do? Uh, nothing. That was all I did. Or Nehemiah can tell his kids and his grandkids, I became a city changer, and I changed the course of history because I left the comfort of the palace. And I was willing to be inconvenienced. And I did that. Really, Grandpa? You did that? Yeah, that was me. And my name will go down in history. And they'll be reading about me in 3,000 years from now. And so here's Nehemiah living as a wealthy government official there. And he leaves the most beautiful city in the known world. Think of all the reasons that he had not to go. Living in the most beautiful city in the entire world. To move to a city 800 miles away. That's an absolute devastating ruins. Depressed there. And he sacrifices his own comfort there so that he can hear God's voice and say yes to God. I just want to say this to you that is, that is prescriptive, that your place and your position in life right now can serve a purpose in God's plan for you. But it may not look like what you think it's going to look like. So then God raises up Nehemiah, leverages his situation as being a cupbearer there, and he changes really the world. And so I want to leave you with a couple things here. And so sort of all of that to now say this. This is a takeaway right here. So we're beginning this series in Nehemiah really to discover God's prescription for your life. That's what we're doing here. God's dream, God, how he can take your brokenness and use that for his purpose. And so what I want us to see this is Nehemiah was willing to do this. Watch this keeps many of you from God's best. This right here keeps, keeps you from God's best. Nehemiah was willing to move away from his identity, his employment identity, 
Sometimes we think, oh, I, I can't. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a businessman. All those things. Nehemiah, he was willing to leave this. He's willing to leave this here, his identity as a cupbearer, and took on a new identity there as a chief builder of the wall of Jerusalem. You see, do you believe that God perhaps has a, a prescription for your life like he had for Nehemiah? Or is this just a, just a story, just an old story, a few thousand years old? Or do you think that God is breathing through the story, breathing upon us here this morning? Nehemiah, his name, you know what his name means? Breath of God. Perhaps God is breathing his breath this morning. See, God blessed Nehemiah so he could be a blessing. God has blessed all of you so that you can be a blessing. But there's a responsibility that comes with it. There's a responsibility that comes with that. So I have two questions for you in closing. Nehemiah had to let go of comfort to hear God's voice. Had to let go of the most comfortable palace on the planet so he could just hear God's voice. If he, didn't, if he doesn't let go, he can never hear God's voice there. And so I'm asking you, are you willing to let go of comfort to hear God's voice? See, because the comfort that we all live in every day, we all live in comfort. I live in great comfort. But the comfort that we live in every day will keep us from hearing the voice of God. To do something that wild, to go 800 miles, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. That keeps us from hearing God's voice. The second thing I know to be true about Nehemiah is an 800-mile journey, that's called inconvenience. Not jump on the plane, on Delta and fly. No, that's called on horseback, whatever. That's called incredible inconvenience, personal pain. But Nehemiah was willing to embrace inconvenience to say yes to God. Inconvenience can keep us from hearing God's voice. Inconvenience keeps us from hearing God's voice. And you know what? We have no idea. Do you think Nehemiah understood the implications of what he was doing when he said yes? We have no idea of the implications. If we can move beyond our comfort and move beyond inconvenience to say yes to God, it's amazing what he will do. And so it is your responsibility. It's your responsibility to step out. It's on you. You see, he called Nehemiah like he called us to make the city better, to make the community better. His choice there, don't miss this, his choice determined his destiny. His choice determined his legacy. His choice was everything. His choice to move beyond comfort his choice to move beyond inconvenience. I just want to say to you, we have to do the same. 
We have to do the same. So if you'd bow your heads. So, Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, that you've blessed us. You've blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Thank you that you make it real that it's not just for us. This is our one and our only life. This is our opportunity today to step into God's God's prescription for our life. Father, I pray that by your grace that you would help us to live out the divine prescription for our lives. Help us, Lord, to, to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.